Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rabbi Iggy. We are joined today by Travis Taylor. Hi, Travis. Hi, good morning. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor. Nice to have you. It is an honor for us. Absolutely. Um, for those people who do not follow you on Instagram and don't know who you are, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, I've done a little bit of everything in my life. I'm still a, an attorney and in Washington. And currently, I'm doing more intuitive work, accessing my intuitive gifts. And I am a yoga instructor intuitive channel, spiritual coach, and meditation teacher, podcast host of a podcast that I was on the radio for several years. So I just help people along their path like I've had help in mine. What does that what does that look like? Sort of, you know, how, how what are the kind of people that sort of you you serve and, and how do you uh, how do you do that with them? People that seek out my services and information need more direction in their life in some way. I've helped people process difficult times. At times when I do healing work, I'm a Reiki master as well, if I didn't already mention that. And since then, whenever I step into someone's energy, whether it's in person or over the phone or in a distance client, I see clairvoyantly and empathically what their what is high in their highest good to know right now, and I don't see it if it's not there or available for them. So it's really rewarding and helpful for me as well, understanding that I have gifts beyond the three-dimensional reality is has been one of the most important things that I've come to learn about myself and People have called me, a, I forget the term, but one who can see themselves comfortably and providing a safe environment for them to be who they really were here to become in their lives. Yeah, I think I, think I read or was reading about you, right? Some people describe you as a soul whisperer. That's the term I was searching for, but I had brain injury earlier this year and so I wasn't sometimes I don't recall everything that I had been thinking about before right so 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 let's talk a little about about that a little bit right so so here you go about your life and you're right you're doing uh you're doing the work and you're helping people and you're right sort of your uh your on social media and you're pulling cards for people and sort of there is this sort of this right um uh intense sort of like life zest and energy sort of coming off from you, right? And then uh, you kind of disappear from social media, right? And I think many people perhaps assume, okay, enough, right? A lot of people, mm -hmm. a lot of us take breaks from it. But when you emerge, it wasn't a planned break. Yeah, it wasn't. So what, what happens? I ended up, having an accident and this is all stuff I learned after the fact because I was still going on trying to build my business during COVID at a time when everything shut down, including the wellness center that I was working out of part-time several days a week, teaching yoga, meditation, taking on walk-in clients and scheduling through then. But during COVID and over the course of the last year, I had difficulty in getting more clientele, but, I was still trying to put myself forward and doing the weekly Instagram lives that I had been doing and trying to build more of a online sort of perspective and brand a bit. And then I had an accident. It was a home accident. I don't call it an accident truly because 
in the, from the soul perspective, we, there are no accidents. It was a synchronistic alignment for me for my highest good. But I had an accident that actually put me into a coma and fractured much of the right side of my body. So when I was brought out of the coma, it was medically induced because a neighbor found me having a seizure on the outside of my building and in the street. And I was unconscious at the time and I had to be put in a medically induced coma for six weeks from the, the entire month of March and half of April. So when I was first understanding what I was learning at the time, I had nothing but awareness and had to teach myself time in order to understand this dimension so that I could concretely return in a way that allowed me to process what I had experienced and had to learn more about things that happened, all the surgeries that they had done while I was in the coma and still had to learn. And I had a trach that you can see here and had a feeding tube. I lost about 45 pounds, so I was emaciated, but survived and survived. I mean, we better put it that way. So I had to relearn how to walk, how to eat, and how to understand the reality, get my memories back mostly, other than what exactly happened. But that will probably come through time. So I slowly got my strength, got back home, released from the hospital after four months or so. And then here I am, get back now after a few more surgeries. I still have a couple more to go because I still have some restrictions from some extra bone growth that I had while I was in the coma because they're restricting my full ability to move around without pain. Mm. When you wake up from this coma, um, do you recall what are your first thoughts? Like how do you, what does, where do you go in your head when you sort of wake up in this sort of like foreign hospital and not knowing what's going on? I had nothing but gratitude and love. That was only two perspectives that I had. Knowing that I was intuitive, I was really, because I could have the full function of my left arm, was able to put my hand on my chest throughout while I was still going through many tests throughout the week and having to understand thought when I first came out, I had no recollection of any consciousness that was that I had during the coma. It was just like lights out. And I wasn't able to dream for several months after that too. But I just remember seeing the clock in the room and watching the turning numbers and the what I later remembered was hands and nurses would come in and look down at their hand on something and then say they'd be back at a certain event. And then it came to that. What I later remembered was time that they would then tell me, would they be back at this time or that time or whatever? And so I had much contemplation time. But when I, when I started to come back and really remember my life, who I was, and everything about me, it was really remarkable. And I remember I had a friend of mine that I had known for several years that was a good climbing friend of mine that had moved to Green Bay. And he came and visited me and brought me a deck of cards that was the same deck as ones that I had been using as animal oracle spirit cards. So I was I pulled a card for me because that was what I could do, was able to do, and I pulled the owl, which was an amazing inspirational card for me and broke me down, broke me apart, broke me open, ultimately to understand that I have the capacity to align and do align with the messages and the owl's message was because they're a night predator and have the best vision of any animal at night, 
the message from the owl was, I can see clearly. And even through the darkness that I might have been experiencing, I can see clearly now. And I could see even through the darkness of my life that it was an inspiration for me to know that I didn't die and that I could, that I wasn't done yet on this earth realm. So that was really inspirational for me. How does one translate that, right? So what, what you're saying is, is incredibly interesting, right? Because I think for, for a lot of our listeners who are experiencing what we call the dark night of the soul or experiencing, um, right. So like, darkness and and solitude and sort of loss of purpose right pain um how does one translate or or take this sort of card or omen or whatever it is whatever we choose to look at to to that place of seeing clearly you know and and understanding the role of of the day that we have in, in front of us yeah, I think when you when I pull it, thank you. That's a really interesting question, and to the point, I would say it's very important for me when I invite messages with my intention that I'm able to understand that it has a direct application for me in my life. At that time, I was in some despair, feeling overwhelmed and didn't necessarily have a great time because I was really still in the hospital, still immobilized, still having pain that I didn't understand and an inability to move an elbow of my other arm. So that was very much an awesome card for me to understand and give me hope because without hope, we can truly descend through the darkness into a much darker place. And for me, I think when we are going through a dark night of the soul, we have to really imagine our connection to a higher purpose, a higher self, a higher order, or even a benevolent consciousness that is beyond ourselves so that we can truly see from a bigger perspective, a bigger picture than we might be experiencing in that very moment, because that's what we're all here to do, ultimately. Our experiences don't define us, they help us to grow, help us evolve consciously. Is it possible to do this sort of internal work, I would say, without the cards? And not to say that it is in the cards, but right, but what I'm hearing from you is the sort of right, the in that moment, the card focused a an attention, awareness, an energy, but mm-hmm. that is in you, right? So so right, so do we need a a totem, a thing, sort of the sort of to to do that? Or or is there a way to sort of to find that within ourselves without the that, that mechanism, yeah, the, the tech, the tool. Right. We have many tools in our toolbox, and awareness is one of the ways that we can truly access our internal unique gifts, whatever that may be. Sometimes cards are helpful because they give a visual image of what the answer or message might be in that moment, which some people prefer because it helps them get specific. But we all have internal an internal guidance system. We're all born with empathy, even compassion. Some people aren't compassionate with themselves, don't love themselves fully. That's a, that's a state that we can live in elsewhere, but we all have access to any intuitive information and intuitive would be, outside of personality. It's just a way, a description of a way to access your understanding of yourself and using your physical body. We have sight, sound, taste, feeling, empathy, and 
a third eye. So whatever mechanism calls to you as a person, you can use that. Whether you're a feeler and you tend to navigate the world through feeling and using your intuition to guide you, that's certainly one mechanism. Some people are hearers. They might hear something and get information through auditory, auditorily. Some are seers. They need to see to believe. So I encourage those folks to open up their third eye and use practical exercises that are, can be developed to help understand how you can see the world more clearly. You speak, you said before about compassion. Why is it right? Since, since you're right, why we all have such intuitions and such uh, access to so much of sort of like, right. The universe is sort of like guidance and light. Why is it then that sort of so many of us do not have compassion for ourselves? That we are so, blocked from from love not just in general but especially to ourselves yeah i've seen that in a lot of clients and even myself i judged myself for how i looked at times for my sexual orientation at times when i had come out at a time that it really wasn't as quote acceptable as it is now although there's still a lot of right work work to go as as a global and human consciousness community we have and we can be really harsh on ourselves and it wasn't because i had a poor childhood or a judgmental parent that was just like you should be better at this but i had this own ter- internal process that i would had been going through and i've seen that in a lot of clients and sometimes it comes from a past life experience that is particularly traumatic Sometimes it's through childhood from a parent or a loved one or even a partner that they might be with now. And sometimes we get sort of hooked, I'd say, on the perspective of judgment of selves, like you're an archetype of the judge, jury, and executioner all at the same time. You'll go through life judging yourself. And that comes, I've learned from my perspective that, it helps me to write things down. What do I think about this? And then write them down. And why do I think that? Where does that come from? I've done the work, as Byron Katie would call it, and I've worked through a lot of the better feeling thoughts, as Abraham Hicks has taught us. And still through then, sometimes your go-to perspective might be a self-criticism. I had a lot of that when I was an active alcoholic and a Addict was showing addiction was showing up in my life. Some people are addicted to negative pattern thinking and they don't necessarily know it or feel that that is true for them. But I've seen it energetically when I step into their bodies energetically because it's a solar plexus perspective. That's where self love lives in our body. And a lot of people feel that they're loving and have a strong positive heart chakra in the front because we give energy from the front of our bodies out of the energetic system and receive it into the back. Most people that I've seen are very loving to others. But when I look at their back, I see daggers energetically in their back from some time that they've experienced a betrayal of that love, something in their life, life plan, events, circumstances have told them or shown them in some way that they have come to believe is true that they don't really deserve to be loved or feel love in your, their physical body or receive it. So do we, we receive love from our back? We receive it energetically. We receive it into the heart chakra, the back of the heart chakra. Or the back of the heart. The the chakra system, the primary chakras, there are seven. The self-love lives in the solar plexus, which is just at the base of the sternum, just the, and it governs if it, right here, base of the chest plate. And it comes in through the back and out through the front. I'll just...
Mm, got it. So the spine is like the will center of the body. Our beliefs show up in our body, whether we're conscious of them or not. And the spine is where the back of the chakras meet and extend out to the front of the chakras. So if I am feeling lower back pain and it's spinal in nature, I might feel uncomfortable moving in the solar or the sacral chakra, which is where relationships reside ultimately. But yes, we receive energy into our back and out through the front other than the two ground, the, the, the root chakra is only one direction and the seventh chakra or the crown is only one direction. So those are received as they can be in someone's system. But for the other five chakras, we receive energy from the back. I'm drawn to bring my attention into my own back of the third eye, which is resides back at the occipital ridge back here. So that's where we receive intuitive information energetically and able to understand it because the brain doesn't necessarily know truth from falsity. The mind is but a playground for the ego essentially. And so we often get confused. Is this intuition or is this, my mind playing tricks illusion, on me. Right. Yeah. This is an illusion. That's a lot of the work that I do is help people understand that distinction and help them unlock whatever capacities they have within them that drive their inner desire for more understanding truth and love in their life. You're, you're talking about your own sort of, uh, um, sort of, battle with what you said, alcohol addictions. Um, how, how is the work that you're doing and the awareness that you have as, as a spiritual person, um, how does that play into sort of your um, recovery, your sobriety, however you define your own sort of space in life? In my experience, I've, Basically, I'm called a retread because I've gone to treatment more than once for my addictions. And the work that you do as an intuitive person isn't antithetical to the experience that one might have doing whatever escapist mechanism shows up in your life or whatever addiction process you're going through. But for me, the desire has left any internal addiction and even energetically is no longer within me. So I don't have the desire, even the pre relapse situations I found myself in. I've gone a really long time in working through all of that, but the work that I do certainly supports a clarity and sober way of living my life. So, so what has changed for you? Like how, how did that change from a retread for somebody who was struggling to, to get to a place where it's sort of um, diminished to such a way that you can sort of reflect on it the way you just did? time, attention, and perseverance. For many years, I spent working the program of AA and NA, and I considered myself and used the term that is often used in every AA meeting or NA meeting where you identify as an alcoholic. And for many years, even after I got sober, like the second time when I was doing inpatient treatment, that identity of calling myself an alcoholic has certain ramifications energetically to my system. And 
I think as an identity that can also have its own chains associated with it. So my spirituality has grown even beyond the program, which is very helpful for people. And I wouldn't say that it isn't. If you need, if you observe and notice that your life has been going in a direction that you don't want and you've identified that it's because of a substance abuse or use situation, then I'd encourage people to get whatever help that they need because we can't really have it both ways. You can't do both. I think for a lot of people, especially sort of people who are listening to us, right, that space is the most difficult, right? So like to 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 get to a place where the substance or the process that sort of have been beneficial or at least has been uh, useful, right, all of a sudden, right, to to choose to feel bad, right, to choose mm-hmm. to feel the pain, the the anguish, the lack of compassion, right? So like, right, you, you, you know, when we stop to self-soothe, we have to face the reality of, of who we are, our life, our actions, shame, guilt, all that. Um, what do you, how, how do you work with people like that? Or what do you say to people who then sort of need to choose pain, right? And, and, and I'm asking this very sort of deliberately of somebody who, right, who, uh, undoubtedly, this point of his living with a lot more pain than he did before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I imagine that they're my best friend and treat people as a best friend. And I encourage folks really to understand their own thought processes around their use and self abuse, and even have identified in myself times where I was actually associated with a story that said I deserved the negative payoff that I would get from a relapse recovery and even understanding how important it is to identify that as part of your own internal process. If that's something that you have to, have like this shadow that needs expression in some way, like an inner child that wants to play. And you have to understand really for me, it's been understanding that that was part of a patterning that existed in my system and how I wanted to identify how I could encourage a healthier expression of that without going through the process of being sober for a while and then relapsing and then having all of the guilt associated with it. That's terrible. That's really horrible experience to have to go through every time, even if it's a longer period of sobriety, but how I approach that with somebody who might be struggling with that sort of process of a recovery from short time or a longer time, and then having a relapse certainly If you go to an institution of recovery, the rate of success, calling success permanent recovery after a first inpatient, the success rate is something under 3%. If you call that recovery, then I certainly know of some people that are able to do that, but I wasn't one of them. I had to understand what, how I had some level of permissive use and some ways that I was identifying. I had um, an addiction counselor for many years. It wasn't, I had like outpatient in a non 12 step based institution in Seattle and I would work with the counselor to help identify in a kind way for me 
that was very helpful. Just to have a neutral person look at your life and give you feedback is certainly helpful, like a mirror and a flashlight, you know. Yeah. If you're in the dark and in the woods, you need a mirror and a flashlight sometimes. So I've struggled. I haven't. I've noticed I've struggled in my own life, but I have noticed some clients that were living a lot of fear in their lives and whether that was because they were in an addiction process or not. But I hope that's insightful for the question that you asked. Sure. As somebody who is now in a different kind of recovery, right? Are there parallels between sort of addiction recovery and, and sort of injury, brain injury sort of recovery? Do you find yourself in similar places? I do. I think it's ultimately a recovery from trauma. However, that trauma exists in our lives is different for everyone. And I'm currently recovering from a lot of physical trauma, reactivation of my PTSD symptoms from the accident and the brain surgery and all of the recovery and surgeries that I had to have. So I don't like wallow in self-pity or judge myself because of that. So in some sense, I don't have any guilt associated with it because that's not exactly the same as having an active addiction process coming on and having to vacillate between a recovery process or an addiction. So as you were saying about, about this, and, and I find this really fascinating, right? So the, the trauma of the physical trauma that you've experienced, right? And then the, um, and then the sort of the, the trauma that sort of we identify as people go through, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and, and, and then sort of like end up with a lot of different addictions and the process of recovering from these traumas, right? Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, I, you know, you said before, like the first thing that you thought was sort of gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a parallel there, right? Because so, so in my tradition, right? So like in the Jewish tradition, our tradition, so like the first, the first prayer, the first words that we supposed to utter in the morning, as soon as we wake up, our prayer is a prayer of gratitude, right? We thank, right, for, we thank sort of the higher power for having another day, for mm -hmm. having another day to do what we're supposed to do, right? It's called the Modani. Um, so, so I find it fascinating, right? Here, here you are, right? Somebody with recovery uh, experience, of course, right? And, and now sort of like recovery from this physical trauma and again, it start the day starts right. The the, the new mm -hmm. life starts with this sort of gratitude. Yeah, it did. And I remember having a guest that I had when I had a radio show in Seattle, Greg Braden, and he was doing a workshop in Seattle at around the time of we recording, and um, we had a live show too. And so I went during his workshop. He had this brain and heart heart coherence thing set up on his his computer was set up on his stage and projecting out to the audience and had an electrode to one's ear where he would measure your heart coherence and he invited volunteers and I was like the first one to raise my hand because he didn't know me from anybody from the he didn't had hadn't seen a picture of me and couldn't remember me if he had seen me before that we recorded the show and so I was like yes so excited to do this and so I he brought me on stage and then connected up the electrodes and then measured my heart coherence and he would have this process where he would try to trip you up energetically and ask you questions that would intentionally get you sort of riled up in your heart. And so he was trying to get you to a place of 
non-coherence before getting into coherence. And then I sat there after he asked me a couple of questions, I knew he was intending to throw me off. And so I just, after that, I just thought of my dog and holding my dog because he was in spirit at the time. And I just thought, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I felt that so fully in my body. And he waited a couple of minutes and then said, what are you thinking about right now? And because he said, your heart is in more coherence than anyone I've ever seen. And asked me if he could use my chart for future presentations. And it was really interesting because to me, all I was thinking of was two emotions, gratitude and love. And those two correlated with strong heart coherence. So that was really remarkable for me. And a reminder for me that when you're in coherence with your heart, feeling those two emotions of love and gratitude, your body responds. You produce all the good chemicals in the body. Your body is able to heal quicker from anything that might be going on in your system. And you're able to consciously connect to your higher self from an energy medicine perspective and raise the global coherence of the planet. Mm. Is that important to connect to sort of the larger planet, the larger sort of like society? Ultimately, I think that's part of our destiny. Some people are stuck. I wouldn't say stuck in that say, I'm sorry, I misstated that. Some people aren't in that level, that belief system or consciousness. I'm thinking of former president, you know, (laughs) (laughs) stuck in a certain perspective of either it's a binary way of thinking or just us, them perspective, or I'm forgetting my point, but I think to your question, ultimately, I think and believe that it's within all, all of us to learn whatever it is we're, we chose to learn before we incarnated. There are mm-hmm. options for us. And it's not to say that any person's desired outcome of this life is any better or worse than any others. Who am I to say that someone doesn't need to really learn compassion? And so a single mother with five kids might really have a life goal and desired outcome of learning how to nurture. Right. So if that's a goal for someone, then I wouldn't say that they are then also responsible for having a goal of healing the world or raising the consciousness of the planet. Hmm. There are those that don't have that necessarily as part of their life plan this time around. Right. Is this point of view sort of helpful for somebody like you who's who's um, who's gone through what you've gone through? That, that is to say, what I'm finding um, what I'm finding sometimes difficult with some some clients or some people, uh, all sorts of different trauma, is that we tend to see ourselves as victims. Right? Yeah. We tend to, right, to like look at like, oh, why, why is this happening to me, right? Yeah. Right? Here I am, right? I, I can imagine, that, not to speak for you, but like, I, right? like here I am, I'm doing these readings, I'm helping people, I've decided to use my powers for good, I'm not a lawyer for corporate America, right? Like, right? And here I am, and I, right, have this accident, and now I have all this sort of like, starting over and learning new things and going through pain and surgeries and, and God can only imagine the, the bills accumulate mm-hmm. with such things. Right. And right. So sort of you would have every 
quote unquote right to to feel angry, right? To feel mm-hmm. like a victim. And I'm not hearing that from you, right? And I think so like that's interesting to me because I think for a lot of people, we want to try and help them sort of step away from the this place of victim, even when something this horrific happens to you. Yes, and I believe that languaging is very important when experiences we have in our lives that we wouldn't necessarily think that we asked for. And it's not, and it's specifically that my belief is that circumstances in our life and my own life happened for me, not to me. And it's very helpful if you find yourself even in a fraction of a second of a self-judgment around criticism of the surroundings that you might be in, whether it's work environment that you find an abusive verbally person that you just don't like working with or a neighbor walking their dog and that you sometimes feel, why are they walking their dog right now? And I've noticed I've had this like quasi relationship with garbage truck and recycling truck that always tends to come by right when I'm scheduling meditation for myself in my day. So I often just say, thank you. Thank you for reminding me about how it's important, how this, how important this is that I continue this practice of mindfulness in my day. And now I don't hear one. There's no one here, no one driving by. So it's very oh, much it's about our expenses. <laughs> it's very about our. Uh, it's very much about our perspective, and that's why I wrote the chapter that was published last year in this book, "The Last Breath." I was invited to participate as a group project for men, with many other mediums all over the world, and. So my chapter is called Broken Open. I don't believe that the experiences that we have break us apart or break us down or the life that we are living is meant to be traumatic. But if we do experience traumas in our lives or death, mine initially started, my chapter started with the death and suicide of my mother. And my visitation by her when I was in treatment for the first time was the first time I actually realized that she didn't die. She just transitioned to a different form. And it was the start of my spiritual path from there. And I had worked not as an attorney licensed practicing. I mean, in Seattle, I've been licensed in Washington since 2001 and I worked for the city of Seattle in public service for 18 years. So in many of the times I was working towards equal employment and employee relations in HR, doing investigations for various departments, advising on racial justice issues, which is so valuable to me, so important for people that look like me to get to understand and to be a voice for people so that people aren't continuing in this Mm -hmm. path of of the white racial superiority that exists in so many organizations and globally. Right. How do we help people transition from why is this happening to me to why is this happening for me? That does it does it does it require a certain level of spiritual awareness or 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 not? I don't think it requires spiritual spiritual awareness, but it does require attention, some internal mechanism or dialogue that we would have with ourselves that identifies how this experience maybe continues to happen and a curiosity around why. Certainly, you don't have to be actively consciously spiritual to acknowledge or address any 
pattern that might be existing in your life that doesn't feel good. Do you get angry? No. No. Sometimes driving, because I still get a little <laughs> bit impatient if I see someone that doesn't know where they're going necessarily. Or, But I've come a long way in my personal relationship with the world. And I don't, I've reduced a lot of the activation symptoms that I might have in my life of anger, aggression, and prom prom promoted peace. And I think that starts within. You have to really optimize and create a priority for yourself in creating peace if you want it in your life. So, so where does that go, right? So like for, for, right, for most people, right, it has to go somewhere, right? The, what Jung will call the shadow work, right? Some of it must, must go somewhere. How, how, do we, how do we translate that or move that, help people with move around it? Like how, how do you move around it, right? You're still human. There's, there must be still be sort of, right, some, some residues of those there too. Yeah. I'm all of a sudden seeing a picture of Elsa in my head singing, let it go, let it go, <laughs> let it go. We can start our day over anytime we want to, because the day isn't eight to five. It's 24 hours a day all the time. And mm -hmm. I used to have situations where I'd like spill coffee on myself in the morning and then spend all day with a bit of a spot here. And I'd be like, Oh fuck, my day's screwed right now. So <laughs> Go, so be it. So I realized that when you can start your day over at any time, you can change your perspective immediately. And you don't have to be bogged down by negative experiences that might have happened just five minutes ago or even two seconds. So it's just about acknowledging the freedom that you want is available for you whenever you want it. You don't have to let things linger in your life or forget the term, obsessing about it, for lack of a better term, or um, allowing it to linger beyond. Yeah. Ruminate. That's the term. Ruminate. Yeah. Don't let it ruminate if it's not helpful for you to do so. Right. How do we transition from the the space that you, we are at to the next levels? What does that require if we want to continuously grow in terms of our spirituality? Yeah, and intention and desire and creating an affirmation process that I think I've had to incorporate in my own life from, at various levels May those who, may I, who I may easily help me find me. May those mm. that I can easily help find me. May those who can easily help me find me in ways that I could easily understand. Those aren't mm. things that I just made up. They're things that I have created in my life that created more acceptable experiences for me to live more freely. So I think what we're all here to do is just be free and happy. But we're imprisoned in sometimes by our own thoughts. Hmm. That's beautiful. Last thoughts, comments, thoughts about your own process or what people should think about as they think about their spiritual journey? Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. It's never as bad as you think it is. It doesn't, it's not going to kill you. And I've often, well, not often as much now, but I was thinking about fear the other day. And 
this conception that I've heard from many people when I talk to them about my climbing and how I invited them to go climbing with me. And a lot of times, nine times out of 10, someone will say to me, I try climbing, but I'm so afraid of heights that I won't climb. And that's fascinating to me because it's not that they're afraid of heights, they're afraid of falling so much. <clears throat> and I'm afraid of falling too. I just had a major fall <laughs> just this year that nearly right. killed me. So that's not the point. The point is, what do you do with that fear? Do you let it define you? Do you let, do, do you let it keep you stuck in that fear? What do you do with it? And I personally believe let fear be your friend. Let it help guide you. And I actually will at times before I do something that I am afraid of, I'll write down what's the worst thing that could possibly happen and think about that and then do it anyway. And then I often notice and have known from my experience that it's not as bad as I think it could be. And actually I could live a little and have more fun. So that's what I do. So I encourage people would encourage people to ask themselves what they're afraid of and why. Hmm. And if it's keeping you from yourself and your goals, do it anyway. Whether that's asking out a guy that you have been thinking about asking out, do it. Get out of the house, get out of your comfort zone. And sometimes that comfort zone is a straight jacket. Right. We're all able still, to be free yeah. from that. Do you still pull cards? I do. Do you think people should pull cards? Do you think it's something for everyone? Only if it's something that calls to you. I think everyone could use some divine insight in your life because mm -hmm. that's why I have my show, Divine Insight. That's what I do. So however that shows up for you in your life, whether that's inviting, going to see someone other than yourself or not necessarily in a therapeutic way, but that might be the case for some people getting, asking, what is it that I am, what is it that I'm currently being inhibited from in my life? If that's the case for you. And if you feel called to go to some religious practice or spiritual practice, then by all means, do that. But if not, do whatever sings to your soul. Yeah, that's great. Whatever sings to your soul. I like that. We're all here Travis, to sing and dance. There you go. Sing, dance, write, whatever. <laughs> Travis Taylor, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, Iggy. Absolutely. Absolutely.